Good morning, everyone. We're going to get started. Of course, we got a lot of ground to cover, and I'll just forewarn you, or I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll relieve you. We aren't going to do math this week. <sighs> Last week, I know we did some math, and that sometimes, now some of you, you're like, you're math. You love math. You love numbers. You're like, finally, the Bible makes sense. I didn't know it had math. But for people more like me, you're like, numbers? I thought this was church, you know. So we're, we're over the numbers a little bit, but we had to get that in, Daniel's 70th week, or it just the whole thing just doesn't quite make sense. We just have bits and pieces here and there. So if you didn't hear it, um, you can go back and listen to it, and I know I've just heard that there's some problems with our audio online, so we'll see if we can get some of that stuff rectified. So if you didn't get to hear it, we might do a review sometime. It just won't be today, or I'll get stuck in the weeds of that. But before we get started today, I know we're kind of spread out for our friend day, but um, does anybody have any prayer requests or praise reports as we start? I don't always take them because sometimes I just need to jump in, so we'll be quick. Yes. Well, we'll pray for Amber specifically this morning. Anyone else? Yes, Dolores. Yeah, teacher of the month right here. She'll be giving autographs after class. Yes, we need to pray. Always lifting up our children and things. And we're thankful, though, for godly teachers who get teacher of the month. Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. So let's. Tell me her name again. Samantha, daughter. Yes. Anybody else? Yes, Tamara? Woke up in her right mind. Well, I added right mind. I assume it's her right mind. <laughs> okay, good, good. Yes. Yes. That's right. Thank the thankful for the Lord today today. Anybody else? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the praise reports, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God, that you are moving us in the area of favor and blessing and restoration, Lord. And in, in light of that, we pray for the other needs, Lord God, that are still among us. I pray, Father, for this, this young lady, Amber, Lord, wherever she's at and whatever she's going through right now, I just pray that you would touch her body, that you would restore her mind. Lord God, that you would bring in a spirit of restoration, God. And we ask you, Lord God, that you know every situation and every minute detail that you would restore and move. And, Lord, we thank you, Lord God, that you're touching this daughter, Samantha, that you're healing her ankle, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God, for all your many blessings, Lord God. We thank you today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Today we're going to turn to Thessalonians. So just hang out in Thessalonians. And we'll also, I'm going to read one scripture out of Daniel 10, Daniel 12, I'm sorry, Daniel 12. So if you want to hit Daniel, you can, but I'm just going to read the one and move on. Daniel 12 and 10, the interesting thing about Daniel 10, 11, and 12, especially 11 and 12, Daniel 11 and 12 tell you three specific things, which is unique to any other book in the Bible. And as I told you last week, Daniel is so spot on with regards to prophecy from his time, his vantage point of where he was at on the timeline. He looked out through what would have been his future. And by the power of God's intervention through an angelic encounter, 
he is given through Gabriel the unfolding, Gabriel being the messenger angel, the unfolding of what will be his future with regard to nations and kingdoms and events. And so from his point of view, now how do we know a prophet is indeed a prophet? If the words they speak come to pass, Daniel, from his point of view, he told prophecy. But now we have listened to Daniel's prophecy. Daniel's prophecy, most of it has become for us history. His prophecy became our history. And it was so spot on. His prophecy of the future was so accurate with regards to now we know looking back at history that many scholars have suggested and even flat out said that the book of Daniel is an imposter written after the historical things happened. Now, why would that why would somebody say that? Because it would be so hard to believe. If you have if you struggled with this Bible being supernatural, then that would be an obvious conclusion, right? The problem with that is even if, let's say, you're what they call a critical scholar, where you call yourself a Christian, but you view the Bible through a critical lens, thinking that it contains the Word of God. I, there again, I don't believe this, but critical scholarship says the Bible contains the Word of God. It's just not all the Word of God. Now, that is what we call the, it's called the errancy of Scripture, or they believe Scripture has errors in it. Now, while there are errors in interpretation, we believe, and I'm telling you, if you as a Christian or even a non-believer, I mean, you're a non-believer, so why would you believe the Bible? But if you as a believer start to accept a truth that says the Bible contains truth but is not the full truth, or God's revelation is progressive in that he reveals more that's not founded in the Bible but completely differentiated from the Word of God. If you start going that route, you are stepping into the dangerous area of heresy. You're already a heretic. I'll just say it that way. It's, it's, you're at red light. Well, warning, 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 warning. Now, with regards to eschatology or end-time beliefs, people who have differing beliefs with regard to how the end times unfold, they are not in the place that we would call heretical or heretics. It's different versions of interpretation. So it, I just want to say that so you know when you're dealing with someone, not all beliefs are in the same category. There may be beliefs that are wrong, but they're not heretical. But then there are beliefs that are wrong and heretical. So when we're dealing with Daniel, now the problem that I see foremost with, with the critical scholars who say that Daniel was written after the fact is that Jesus referred to Daniel in his sermon on the, uh, in his Olivet Discourse regarding the end of the age as the pro he called him a prophet. And he said, go read Daniel the prophet. So either 
Daniel was in fact a prophet and all of his work was written from his day telling the future by, ver- by, by way of prophecy or Jesus was confused about his Bible. It doesn't work, does it? So there we are. I say that when we talk about Daniel, the interesting thing about Daniel is in Daniel 11 and 12, it is the only two chapters in the Bible that will tell you about the tribulation or Daniel's 70th week, what happens before it, what happens during it, and what happens after it. And so we can already just go into the things that have not yet happened from the book of Daniel. And because of his resume with regard to prophecy, we can all deduce, come to the conclusion that he is, in fact, an accurate prophecy. So the things that remain from the book of Daniel are going to be what? Fulfilled. So that's where we get the validity of these scriptures, other than the fact that they are the Bible. So Daniel 12 and 10, it says this. This is what happens after, right after the tribulation to the end of it. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined. This is what goes on in the midst of the great tribulation and after. Many will be made purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly. None of the wicked will understand, but the wise will understand. Who's going to understand? The wise. Says what? We'll have insight, understanding. So there is a reality here. Wickedness, which is, can only be diagnosed by wicked behavior. That's it. That's the only way we can diagnose. Wickedness, which can be diagnosed by wicked behavior, with wickedness comes a blindedness to your understanding. That should cause you to stand more squarely in the light. Because who of us want to be deceived raise your hand as high as you can you know no one see that's just a fact of the matter but the reality is there is a spirit of deception in the land right and so in order for us not to be pulled into the spirit of deception you need to be not so cool with wicked behavior in your life because when you operate in wicked behavior which is the symptom, the outward symptom. I can't see hearts, can you? But I can see fruit. And so wicked behavior tells me there might be a wicked heart. It's a pretty good indication. And that tells me that person ought not be teaching Sunday school. Because whatever's going to be coming from them is not going to be in the light or of the light. 
it's going to be of darkness. That's why there is a warning on teachers. Let there not be many teachers among you, for greater is their condemnation or their judgment. So when I stand up here in this office, I don't do so to flatter you or to make myself look good. I'm not selling a book. The only book I want to sell you is the one that's already been written. And so, and I will sell it to you for absolutely zero cost. So when I stand up here, I do so in the gravity of the office of a teacher. And I don't want, not because I am, I don't want to stand before him. and I don't, I don't. Obviously, who would want to stand before him and, and give account and just because of your, my own arrogance and stupidity because I refused to examine myself and to stand before him with a searching, then that, it's, it's very severe. And so I come to you in humility. I come to you in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not trying to please anyone's brand of doctrine, including the, the fellowship that I hold a ordination in. But I'm not trying to be, on the same hand, subversive or contradictory or being someone who's trying to pick a fight. I am just trying to, by the Spirit of God, rightly divide the word of truth. I will do this to whomever shows up, be it one, two, or two thousand. Because that's the thing that I give account for is not how many hear, but by what I say and the spirit in which I say it. And so when we understand this, that the none of the wicked will understand, but the wise will understand. So my prayer, I read that scripture and I say, oh God, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom from the word of God. Don't let me think that I know it all. And you're, you know what? I'm a reformed know-it-all. We got any reformed know-it-alls in the house? You know what I'm talking about? You're, you're, it's a know it, there's, there's like movement. You're a know-it-all. And then when you become a know-it-all who knows you're a know-it-all, you're still a know-it-all, but at least you're self-aware. I stayed there for years, and I thought that was the cure. But then the Lord told me, ask of me, and I will show you great and mighty things that you know not. And I told the Lord, I said, well, Lord, you're going to have to tell me what to ask because I think somewhere in my mind that I wouldn't have been, you know, wise enough to say or dumb enough to say, I should say. I, I didn't say, well, you're going to have to tell me what to ask because I feel like I know quite a bit already. Well, I mean, I'm just saying. I mean, if I'm anything, I'm honest, and so that was kind of what was going on. So I didn't know what to ask because I just didn't know what there could possibly be that I didn't know. I know that sounds right, you know. And then I was, the scripture came to me again, but the Lord is faithful. You know, he understands that we're just, we're beset with ignorance. 
And so the scripture came to me maybe a couple of years later. See, it's how long it takes to reform a know-it-all. A couple of years later, the Lord, the Spirit of God spoke the exact same scripture to me, but the light was on it in a different way. And he said, ask of me and I will show you great and mighty things. Because before it was just the great and mighty things that I had because I had a great and mighty mind and I was full of great and mighty pride, right? So ask of me and I will show you great and mighty things. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit switched the spotlight to that thou knowest not. And all of a sudden I saw myself <clears throat> maybe truly for the first time in, since in my adult understanding that I had been moved successfully by the Holy Spirit to the category of a no-not. And you know what? It was sobering, and it was wonderful. It was. It's like the Lord's rebukes are tender mercies. Like, they're wonderful. And, I, and in His love, He removed me to the place of a no-not. But then when I got to the place of a no-not... Then, in humility, the Lord began to bring understanding. And the more I began to understand, the more I was convinced that I knew nothing. And I've never gotten out of the no-not category, and I don't want to. So I say I'm a reformed know-it-all. So I'm a no-not and happy to be one because now I'm a candidate for wisdom. You see what I'm saying? Before, before I wasn't, an I wasn't a candidate for true wisdom because pride blinds from wisdom. Pride goes before what? Destruction. And a haughty spirit goes before a fall. Anytime you see a fall in your life, you know what was at work before the fall got there? Pride and a haughty spirit. Oh, that, that'll bite, won't it? So we're going to understand. We're going to look at some understanding from the Apostle Paul. Would that be okay? 1 Thessalonians 1 and 10. 1 Thessalonians 1 and 10 says this. I'm going to get a drink. I drank. Did y'all hear that? I drank. Gosh. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Yeshua or Jesus, the one delivering us from the what? Coming wrath. From the wrath to come. So I looked up this word wrath in the Greek, and the Greek phonetical spelling is orge. O-R-G-A-Y. Orge. Orge is, means anger, wrath, passion, punishment, and vengeance. So what does it say that Jesus will be delivering us from? Wrath, anger, wrath, passion, punishment, and vengeance. If you have made Jesus as the Lord of your life, which includes a forsaking of your wickedness, then you have positioned yourself to be wise and understanding. And that means you have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. You have laid your life down, laid your life down. And you have received his life in place of your dreaded, sinful, know-nothing life. I know. Is that not good news? And what does he deliver us from? The coming wrath. 
Because how many of you deserve wrath? Raise your hand. Yes, I deserve wrath. But his grace delivered me in that while I was blind in my sin and my trespasses, his great mercy revealed to me his love and I accepted him. And he moved me from the place of a subject owed God's wrath to one who is seated in his place of blessing and favor and appropriated for rescue. so good I'm about to get saved now first Thessalonians I didn't even put a scripture in here I don't know why I need it though I need it but I don't have it sorry guys I just put first Thessalonians it's in there it's in the book yeah so that no one would so that no one would be shaken by these afflictions and trials for you yourself, I think it's at the first chapter of First Thessalonians, actually. For you yourselves know we are destined for this. What are we destined for? No, read the scripture. So that no one would be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know we are destined for this. What are we destined for? for no, let's listen. Come on, y'all. I don't know. Where am I at? Chapter 2, what verse? There you go. <laughs> so you've got some wisdom. <laughs> Thank you. That's right. Thank you. That's smart. Wow. <laughs> we got a thinker in the house. <laughs> okay. So that no one would be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know we are destined for this. What are we destined for? Afflictions. Now, this is not where we get a lot of preaching, is it? This is not a part of Joel Osteen's Your Best Life Now stuff, is it? I mean, I'm all for Your Best Life Now. No slam on Joel Osteen, but there's just some other stuff in the book. Okay, for you yourselves know we are destined for this. For when we were with you, Paul's like, he's writing a letter, but he says, for when we were with you, we kept telling you that you were going to suffer persecution. I think we ought to craft our salvation message to be more apostolic. Come get saved, but don't worry. After you get saved, you better be ready for persecution and suffering. Don't do it. This is what happens so often. People make a move to salvation because we candy coat it. Know what I mean? It's like we're handing out those big round lollies. You know, who wouldn't want one of those rainbow lollies? You know what I'm talking about. Woo, ah, mm, come get saved. We're like kidnappers. I got, you know, <laughs> here's the candy. Get in my van, kid. You know what I mean? It's like entrapment, isn't it? So then we, we have this version, and I, I don't know. I think this happened in the seeker-sensitive movement. We thought we were doing a good thing by making salvation so accessible. You know what I mean? So non-committal. So Jesus loves you so much, he'll take your left sock from you if that's all you want to offer him. You know, the left sock that has the hole in it, if that's all you want to give him, it'll be fine because he loves you so much, he would never ask you to change anything about yourself. 
not true. But I know we never use that language. I'm obviously being facetious, but can you see how sometimes the, sometimes the presentation feels a little bit like the rainbow giant swirly sucker, you know, and that's what we're handing out. And, and we want to draw people. We want to tell people about the love of God and the blessing of God. And do I believe God is love? How many of you, since you got saved, you've been more, you'd rather be in this place in the best prison in the world? You know what I mean? I mean, how many of you? Say, God is the best thing I've ever done. Even with the persecution and the suffering and the trial, it's the best decision I ever made. If this is torture, chain me to the wall. You know, that's, and so, but there is the reality that when someone gets saved, I've seen people come down and I believe they're wanting to make a genuine commitment, but they didn't get the whole story. You know, they make a whole commitment. They're wanting to make a whole commitment, but maybe in our haste, we didn't give the whole story. Then once they say the prayer, because it's just as easy as saying the prayer. It really is. A heart that says the prayer, man, I got saved when I was 11 years old. I came back to the Lord in a bathroom in Round Rock, Texas. And it was just a few words I said. It wasn't the magic of the words. It was the magic of the heart. It was the opening of the heart. And then... What we don't tell people is, is what Paul apparently, when he started a church, he said, now I've brought you to Christ. There's one thing you need to prepare for. Blessing? Joy? Yeah, yeah, all that. Yeah, that's good. That's good and well. Persecution. Suffering. What? You see what I'm saying? We sometimes think that persecution is evidence we're doing something wrong. You know what I'm saying? Now, it might be. I'm telling you, you might be sowing some really bad seeds in some disobedient places, and you're just getting the fruit of disobedience. That's a fact, Jack, and you're going to have to look at your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. But there's sometimes, there's sometimes in your life, you know you're standing right where you need to be standing, and your family's waging hell against you, and your co-workers are waging hell against you, and nobody, I mean, your friends, they don't want to hang around. I did not. When I got saved, I didn't have to get rid of my friends. They got rid of themselves, didn't they, Mike? We had best friends we were close to. Mike's very best friend in the world, like a brother. We had been saved for a few years, and you had talked to him and talked to him. I mean, begged him, right? Yo, know, there was no two people on earth closer than these two. They spent, he lived at his house, didn't you? Mike went to his mother's house and said, Wanda, you need to go to the morgue and identify Jimmy, I her 16-year-old son. I believe he was killed last night. And she said, Mike, don't you be messing with me. She said, he said, Wanda, I'm not. That's how close he was to this family. Right? And after we got saved, you went to James. And what did you say, Mike? A brother. James, stop. James, I mean, you know the reason he wouldn't get saved? The one thing, this is how stupid it is. The one thing he felt like he would have to give up and he couldn't. He would rather live without Jesus. You know what it was? Oh, no. It's much stupider than that. Heavy metal music. It's the truth, isn't it, Mike? He said, I can't give up my metal music. And so he just carried on, carried on. And the last time we laid eyes on him, I was pregnant with Hannah, and we were out walking trying to get myself to go into labor, right? 
and we walked near his house, and he had been traveling. He was a roofer, so we didn't expect him to be there. He was never there. And he comes out. He's walking back to his house, and when he sees us, he had been on jobs. His hair was long and bleached out white from being in the sun, and it was dark, dark, dark brown on, from being on top of those roofs. And, I, and Mike went, James, and he went, Hey, how's it going? Hey, how's it going? Like, like he didn't even know him. And they were inseparable. Right? And we both talked, said, gosh. And then we moved from there. And I'll never forget the night on a Sunday night after church. We walked in the house in the answering machine back in the day, you know, answering machines. The light flashing. Mike, just what you do? You just push the button. And it was James's little sister, Lisa. Mike, Mike, this is Lisa. James has been in a car wreck. He's, he, hit a, he hit a tree after drunk after leaving a bar, and he's in, he's in ICU. They don't know if he's going to live. Call me. Next message. Beep. Mike, this is Lisa. James is dying. And I'll never forget Mike in the kitchen, leaned against the wall and fell down crying. And he stood up behind the pulpit of our church we pastored. And he stood there and gave an altar call. And I'll never forget it, Mike. You said... My very best friend in the world, James Lovell, by all evidences of his life, he left a bar drunk and drove into a tree and killed himself and another man. And Mike said, he gave the time of how long he had been dead down to the second. And he said, I'm afraid to say that my very best friend has been burning in hell for that amount of time. See, that is the reality, and it's not a sucker. It's rainbow-colored. It's rescuing people from a place that they, where the Bible says the worm does not die. And you're like, but God is love. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And not perishing does not mean a life free from suffering because he guarantees us we will have tribulation. That's the word, the lipsis. It's the same word whether it's great the lipsis or Moderate the lipsis. That's, that's the book. Yeah, I mean, that's the way it goes. We get, we get, yeah, we get our theology of hell, not from the Old Testament. We get it from the New Testament. Who do we get it from? Jesus gives us our theology of hell. When I was in Israel, the Orthodox, ultra-Orthodox Jew who is our God, he mentioned 
he drove us by what is called the Valley of Gehenna. And I said, oh, like hell. He said, yeah. He said, hell. He said, he said you know, he said, so he said, hell, we believe differently than you because he doesn't believe the, old, the, the New Testament. So all he reads is the Old Covenant. He said, we believe hell not like Christians believe hell. He said, we believe hell will be more like a root canal. Unpleasant and quick, and, and you'll be purified by it and get a new tooth. And I said, I went, you, you don't believe in eternal separation and punishment eternally? He went, no. And I thought, how could that be? I thought, oh, they don't believe Jesus' teaching. You don't believe Jesus' is teaching, you don't believe in hell. And so, you know, and I know that this is not a popular message. I feel myself sweating talking about it. So, it might be. John says this. He says this in John 16. He says, in me, you have peace. In the world, you will have trouble. <laughs> Wait a second. He says, in me, you're going to have what? Shalom, peace. In the world, what are you going to have? Trouble. Trouble. See, that's the same word, philipsis. In me, you have peace. In the world, what are you going to have? Tribulation. So, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So what does that mean? If I'm in him, what do I do? I overcome because in him I have peace. So you, that's what, how it translates. You can take me and put Christ in me and me in Christ. Right? That's called salvation. Christ in me and me in Christ. And you can take that combo of me and Christ in me and me in Christ, and you can put me in a world full of trouble. And you know what I'm going to have? Peace. I will overcome the trouble. I will overcome the spirit of the world every single time. This is a peace that the Bible says passes understanding. I will not apologize for the fact that I may have trouble all around me, but I have a peace in the midst of the trouble that cannot be evacuated from my life because no man can pluck me from the palm of God's hand. No trouble can pluck me from God's hand. No tribulation can pluck me from God's hand. No suffering, persecution, trials, or temptation. You know, it's like, it's all right to have a storm around you. It's when you get the storm in you. That's when. Because what's in you is greater I'll see what's in you, and I'll raise you what's in me. You see what I'm saying? No, you, you all got the same thing in me, so we're all right there. But you give somebody who's like your atheist friends or whatever they are, agnostic, who don't believe in the Lord, I say, okay, I'll see you that, and I'll raise you Jesus. Now, let's go. Let's go. Where are we going to go? Let's go show your hand. Let's talk about your life. Let's talk about my life. Because you know, this morning I was thinking about it. You know where a lion lays down for rest? Anywhere he wants. That's true. A lion will lay down anywhere he wants to. If he's hot, he lays in the shade. If he's cold, he lays out in the open. You know why he does that? Because he has no rivals. 
He's not the prey of anyone. And the Bible says the devil roams about like a roaring lion. He's flexing and strutting and crowing and acting like he's a lion. He's not a lion because he still hides. He's a master of deception. He's still sneaking around and lying because he's not a lie. Jesus will come right out in the open and say, come on, bring all the rivals, bring anyone. And one day, Jesus is going to lure Satan out of his place. Roman Revelation 12 says that he is going to fall. From, he's going to be cast out of his heavenly place. See, do you know right now where he occupies? The Bible says he's the prince of the power of the air. He is now the spirit of the world that works in the sons of disobedience. God. Obedience is not important. Sure enough, he is. So he works in the sons of disobedience. That he is the spirit. The Bible says in Corinthians, he's the spirit of this age. But Revelation tells a story. I'm just going to go there for y'all. Revelation 12. It has taken me years to understand this because I've had a lot of bad teaching on this chapter, to tell you the truth. I have. And I had to always take my bad teaching and try to fit, fit the scripture into my bad teaching. It just hasn't worked, and it left me confused. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed in the sun. That's Israel. I won't take you to the Old Testament to read it, but you can sure enough find it. With the moon at her feet and her head, a crown of 12 stars. That's Joseph's revelation of the dream that he had. Remember? The sun and the moon. Yeah, you got it. That's, it's Israel. It was her mom. It was, it, and the interpretation is it was, it was, it was uh, Rebecca and what's his name? No, I get them mixed up. Jacob and Rachel. That's who it was, mom and dad at the time. The mom and dad, who was, who, what did Jacob become? Changed his name to what? There you got it. Okay, so this is Israel with 12 stars. She is pregnant. Okay, Israel's pregnant, crying out in birth pains and agony to give birth. See, this is not Mary, y'all. It's not Mary. It, it's not Mary. Mary did give birth to Jesus, but this picture, this is not Mary. Crying out in birth pains, in agony to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, a fiery red dragon that had seven heads and ten horns. Who's that? Right. The seven royal crowns on his head. His tail sweeps away a third of the stars in heaven. It hurled them down to the earth. Now the dragon stood before the woman. We got Satan standing before who? Israel. This is Israel. The woman is Israel. You'll have to know that. Who was about to give birth so that whenever she gave birth, he might devour the child. And she gave birth to a son, a male son, who is to rule the nations with a rod of iron. Who's that? And her child was snatched away to God in his throne. Mount of Olives, right? Jesus ascended. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had been given a place prepared by God so they might take care of him for 1,260 days. That's three and a half years. So where does this put us at this point in our timeline? Right in the middle of Daniel's 70th week. This is where we're at. So what happens here, what happens here is Satan loses whenever God picks up this scroll. 
or Jesus takes this scroll from the hand of God. And he pops the first seal. And the Antichrist, the white, the white horseman, begins to ride through the land. The Antichrist becomes the vehicle that Satan will possess, incarnate. And so it's, this is not at that time yet. This is the first three and a half years. You take the first seal is the white horseman. The second seal is war. What always follows war? Famine. And then you keep going through the seals. And you get to about the fifth seal. And then he's, when Satan is thrown out of heaven, he knows his time is short, it says here. We'll go a little bit further. And war broke out in heaven, and Michael the archangels making war with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought, and they were not strong enough. They were not strong enough to fight Michael. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, and the ancient serpent called the devil. We already know who. Now it's, it's translating itself, interpreting itself. And Satan, who deceives the whole world. Who deceives the whole world? Here it is. He was thrown down to the what? Earth. And his angels were thrown down with him. When I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now have Come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his anointed one. For the accuser of the brethren and sisters, the one who accuses them before God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives unto death, even in the face of the earth. Therefore rejoice, O heavens. Woe to you. Rejoice, O heavens, you who dwell in them. Woe to you, earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you with great rage, knowing that his time is short. Now, when the dragon saw that he had been thrown to the earth, he stalked the woman who had given birth to the male child, Israel. But the woman was given two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly away from his presence of the serpent into the wilderness for the place where she is taken care of for a time, times, and half a times for three and a half years. And from out of his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river, but the earth opened up and it helped the woman. Okay, you're like, what is all of this? This is symbolic language for sure. But this is at the midpoint in the tribulation whenever the abomination, this is at three and a half years. See, the Antichrist starts rising. He's rising. Now, I do not believe that the, this personal belief, I believe through study, I didn't just, you know, dream it up. I do not believe the Antichrist will be Eastern or European. I do not. I believe it will be Middle Eastern. I believe it because of the word of God. I believe it because of the nations that are aligned. And what I, I have to take out my Western. Do you know how hard it is to get my Western belief out of my mind? It's like pulling out spaghetti. I don't care what color Jesus' skin is. I, he's going to look like an Israelite. I mean, that's just, I mean, that's all I know. They look in a ver variety of ways. You know what I mean? And so that's just what they look like, dark to light. It, you know. So here we, we see here, we, we see what's going on in this whole thing is that the reality is, is that Satan is thrown out of heaven, not And he's, what is he when he gets thrown out of heaven? 
what does he know? Because, see, here's the reality. When the scroll is taken, this is the least to the earth. Whenever Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they had the least to the earth. But it was handed over. He sublet it. How many of you know what a sublet is? You have a lease, but you want to break the lease, right? And you want to let her pick up your lease, right? It's good. So you get a sublease. So in the same way, Adam and Eve had the lease to the earth. Who owned the earth? God owned the earth. See, you are leasing, and she's going to sublease from you. But right here, she's the owner of the house. Does that make sense? Now, you have a lease, and you're like, you're going to honor the lease. But now they have done this sublease thing, and she's in on the lease, and you allow for a sublease. What do you have to do? Honor the lease. Honor the lease. But there comes a time where the lease does what? It expires. And when the lease expires, it's game on. Eviction is served. And so that's what ha Satan is getting evicted from his place, a temporary place of dominion. How do you think? I'm just asking you. If Satan's not bad and, and you know, and, and he's already completely 100%. Now, I have to be careful how I say this because it's so hard to say. Satan is 100% completely taken care of at the cross. It's finished. But see, when I'm in Christ... I, am t I have dual residency. I am in heaven, and I'm on earth. So that's how I have victory completely from where I sit in heaven, but I have to actually demonstrate it where? On earth in the midst of suffering and persecution and trials and tribulations and a bunch of people and a bunch of wicked governments and a bunch of wicked rules and a bunch of stupid acting people and a bunch of dangerous violent criminals and a bunch of people who are doing the work of the prince of the power of the air, the sons of disobedience. Have y'all ran into any of them? And so that's the reality of what's going on. So you have victory already and not yet. Do you see how they both work together at the same time? But when will your total victory be consummated? When he comes again and the Bible, see, we're looking forward to the day of the Lord. Regardless of when we leave the planet, it doesn't matter. If I'm in Christ, I'm okay. If I'm in Christ, I'm okay. Because when he comes, the Bible says he will destroy the Antichrist, which is the incarnation of Satan with the breath of his mouth. breath is powerful so we look at this now let's go to first Thessalonians. y'all are in first Thessalonians right you were I moved y'all sorry I'm not following my flow y'all know I'm a know nothing you what do you expect from a know nothing nothing <laughs> thank you Ray love it I love it I can't find Thessalonians thank you oh there it is sure right what you said Okay, four. First Thessalonians 4. I'm going to read 13 here. I'm just going to pick up reading 13. Just listen. Put your listening ears on. Now, four. 
Now, we do not want you to be uninformed. I like the translation to say ignorant. That's my favorite word, ignorant. Just sounds real country. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep. What does it mean to be asleep? Dead. So that you may not grieve like the ones who have no hope. What do we have? We have hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. So with him, God will also bring those who have fallen asleep with, with have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we tell you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall in no way precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself, this is where I love it, listen, listen. For the Lord himself shall come down from heaven with a commanding shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the blast of God's shofar and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain, who are left behind, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we always be with the Lord. So comfort one another with these words. Now concerning the times and seasons, he goes right in same thought now concerning the times and seasons brothers you have no need of anything to be written to you in other words I've already covered it for you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord what we just read the shout the you know the day of the Lord comes like a thief in the night when they are saying peace and safety sudden destruction comes on them like a woman having birth pains in the womb we talked about this last week when birth starts what does birth do it finishes. How many of you women, you got pregnant 20 years ago and you're still trying to give birth? No. It's at some point you go into labor and it finishes either in the live birth of a baby, the live in the live living a living mother. That's what we all want, right? That's what we call a healthy delivery. Or it finishes with a stillborn or dead baby and a living mother. Or it finishes with a living living baby and a dead mother. Or it finishes, in the worst case scenario, with both of them dead. But what does it do every single time? It finishes. It's happening. Once it starts, it's not stopping. So when people ask me, are we already in the tribulation? I say, no. You know why? Once it starts, what does it not do? It does not stop. But what does start and then stop? Braxton Hicks contractions. And what do they do? They, they're just like labor with one exception. They stop. They stop. And all they're doing is getting the mother's body ready for the main event. So here's what I know. Now, when the first seal pops... I'm not, you know, is that Braxton Hicks or is it, is it labor? When you had babies and you had those, a Braxton Hicks contraction and your stomach grabbed and it was like, oh. You called the doctor and you said, doctor, I think I'm in labor. And they ask you one question every time. How far apart are the contractions? They're looking. Is it going to stop? Because if it does, if it stops, it's not the real thing. That's how we know. It's the whole labor thing. But he's saying, now let's go. He says it's going to come like, a, like all of a sudden when labor starts, it goes. It's the real thing. It doesn't stop. But you, it says, um, shalom, a woman having birth pains in the womb. 
There is no way they will escape. You won't escape when, you, when your labor starts. How many of you women escape birth? You did not. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark. Where are we not in? So that the day, the Lord's coming, might overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the night or darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us remain on alert and sober-minded, knowing labor's going to start. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, it's too early to start drinking. That's the, that is the moral rectitude of the drunk. For those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober-minded. I'll just make another plug for y'all quitting the drinking. Put on the breastplate of faithfulness and love and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not destine us for... We're destined for tribulation, persecution, and suffering. But we are not destined for orge, wrath. Where are we at? God did not destiny us for us. But for the obtaining of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another with these words, which is what you're doing. That's what he said. So see what we said there? So what are we subject to? Persecution. What are we not subject to? Okay, that's what we have to go forward with. We have to understand that. I've got five minutes. Well, I only, all I'm doing is separating what the Bible separates in the Greek. Well, it comes down to this. If it comes down to this, you have to know, I mean, you have to conflate the two. You do. You have to put them together in some way in order to get that. And so, and that, and that may be, you know, somebody's like, that's how I'm going to do it. And I'm saying, that's good. You're good. Let's go. Let's go with that. Okay, so the present age closes. When we pick up the scroll, the present age closes. We don't pick it up. Jesus picks it up. The lamb who is worthy. The one who is, and that's so funny. I mean, the line, you know, it's just so good. I won't go in. It's just, we'll get there sometime. The present age closes and the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. Do y'all know that's what we're waiting on? The fullness of the Gentiles. I just wonder, I just feel like it's like the last, you know what I mean? It's like the last one. I got a quota to meet. You know what I mean? No, you know, and it's like that. I don't know. It's just how I picture it. It's just me being silly. Probably it's like that. Like we, we give the altar call. Come, accept the Lord as your Savior. And that person comes down and they give their heart to the Lord. And I'm like, and that's the full, is that the fullness of the Gentiles? See, some of you are like, some of you are so afraid of the end times. You're like, well, I'm never evangelizing again. Like when Hannah was little, I talked about being caught up to the Lord. And I had a, I went to a Mexican restaurant and I had a balloon. And how many of you know, I don't know why they give you balloons, because you hate them, right? And they're in the car, and they're going all around everywhere. And so then you have to be the, ma the mean parent who takes the balloon from your child, you know? So I always used an object lesson with them or something. And so we were outside, and I was like, let's let the helium balloons go. And so Lainey and Hannah had one. And I said, one day, the dead in Christ are going to rise, and it's going to be just like these balloons. And we, you know, and I said, this is how the Lord's going to catch us away. And I said, and I was, and they were looking, and I said, and I said, when I let them go, it's going to be like the dead raising. And Hannah's probably, Jacob wasn't even born yet, so Hannah's like five years old. And I let them go, and as they're going up, Hannah said, I ain't doing that. 
I'll grab a tree, I will. I promise you, I'm grabbing a tree. And she was so mad about the whole thing. She wasn't going up. He was like, wow. I was like, what? She said, I don't want to do that. But see, that's how so many of us are. You know what I mean? The only thing we know is the earth. That's all she knew. She didn't know what this going up, this looked dangerous. This whole thing looked beyond her ability to conceive of what that might be, right? And so many times we're much the same way. We, the, all we know is this world. And so it's hard to develop an understanding that actually hastens the day of the Lord. Because, you know, many of you look at your lives and you go, I love my, I love my life. I love my kids and my grandkids and my, I love my church and I love the relations. You know what I mean? I love my life. And that's good to love your life. But at the same time, we're cultivating a desire to lead. And, you know, as I get up this morning and I see another headline, man takes a semi-automatic weapon and goes into the house of his neighbor in San Jacinto County, of his neighbor. His neighbor came out and asked him to quit firing his gun because he was trying to get his children to sleep. That's, that's, a, that's a reasonable request, isn't it? The man took the semi-automatic weapon, stormed in the front door of his neighbor's house, and killed five people. Point blank. One of them was a child. And the other two children were buried and protected by the bodies. And one man was able to flee, and his wife and his child died. A neighbor. As we look at the landscape of our world and the darkness and the wickedness in human hearts, then we can say, even so, Lord, come quickly. Come quickly. We have to finish right here. But I want y'all next week, we're going to read, we're going to read, um, we're going to start with Romans 11. It's so important that we understand, we understand that Israel in the last days. Because if we, if we look at this through an American Bible, I told y'all last week, this book is not written to us. It's written for us. And we have to look at it through the understanding and the lens of the people it is written to in order to see how it, it ministers to us before. Or we distort it. If we make it to us and we eliminate Israel, we never actually get a true communication of the message. So we're going to start there next week. Lord bless us in Jesus' name. Amen.